Good morning, everybody. I am so glad that we get to be in worship together. We are looking at the text about the wise men from uh, Matthew chapter 2, verses 1, 1 through 12. In the time of King Herod, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, wise men came from the east, coming to Jerusalem, asking, Where is the child who has been born King of the Jews? For we observed his star at its rising and have come to pay him homage. When King Herod heard this, he was frightened and all Jerusalem with him. And calling together all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Messiah was to be born. They told him in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it has been written by the prophet, and you Bethlehem in the land of Judah are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who is to shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod secretly called for the wise men and learned from them the exact time when the star had appeared. Then he sent them to Bethlehem saying, Go and search diligently for the child and when you have found him bring me word so that I may also go and pay him homage. When they had heard the king they set out And there ahead of them went the star that they had seen at its rising until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star had stopped, they were overwhelmed with joy. On entering the house, they saw the child with Mary his mother and knelt down and paid him homage. Then opening their treasure chest, they offered him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to return to Herod, They left for their own country by another road. This is the word of God. Thanks be to God. Well, the second day of New Year's, and I'm reminded of a New Year's Day story I heard some time ago of a husband and wife that were sitting on the couch together on New Year's Day. They were reflecting a bit on what the previous year had brought and what their hopes were for the coming year. The husband was stretched out with his head in his wife's lap and In a quiet moment, she just leaned down and gently removed his glasses and said to him, Honey, without your glasses, you still look exactly like that handsome young man I married. He replied, Honey, without my glasses, you still look pretty good too. Well, I'm going to ask us to put on some different glasses today and take a clear look at this passage of Scripture about a very familiar story. The wise men, actually the literal translation is magi, and from that word magi, we get magician and magistrate. Truth is, we don't know a lot about these guys. They are from the east, from the area of Persia in that day, in our day, Iraq, Iran, somewhere in that area. And what we do, we do surmise about this is that these folks study the skies. They study the celestial bodies for insights into what is going on in the world, what the meaning is, as well as what it portends for the future. We don't know very much else about them except they set out on this incredible journey. So friends, as we look at this story, I I want you to understand that we're going to be looking at three key players. The Magi are the first ones. 
They see this celestial event and they decide they're going to take off and find out what it means. They don't have all the answers. In fact, I, as I think about this story, I, I try to modernize it and contextualize it and wonder what it would look like if it happened in today's time. So here comes one of those wise men, one of those magi home and says to his wife, if he's married, honey, I, I got to go on a trip. And she says, well, where are you going? I don't know. Well, how long are you going to be gone? I don't know. Well, what are you going to be doing? I don't know. Well, we are going to be following this star. And she looks at him kind of skeptically and says, is this one of those midlife crisis things? Because if it is, you know, you could trade in our two-hump family camel for a sportier one-hump model. She just doesn't see the sense in this at all. You know, it really is kind of a risky journey just to head out following a star that's setting a direction, but you don't know what you're going to find. Not in reality. You don't know how difficult or how easy the journey is going to be. But these wise men are acting on what they know. And they know enough to know they've got to go. It's a familiar pattern of the divine interactions in life. You'll remember Moses in the Old Testament when he's tending his father-in-law's flocks there in Midian. One day, out of the corner of his eye, he sees a bush on fire. Now, he's seen that before because there are lightning strikes in the area. But what gets his attention is this bush is not consumed by the fire. And he decides to stop, to look, and to listen. And in doing so, he has an epiphany, a revelation, an aha moment. Friends, aha moments come to us in life. Sometimes they're great and big and just earth-shattering, and sometimes they're just small and lead to other aha moments as we go on life's journey. Some of them are joyous, hilarious. They just make us smile like those YouTube videos of kids tasting ice cream for the first time. But aha moments can also lead to uh-oh moments. Like when you get in your car and you turn the switch or hit that start button and nothing happens. It's an aha, but it's an uh-oh. These disciples are living into this aha moment. So they decide if they want to know, they've got to go. And they set out on this incredible journey, not knowing what it's going to lead them to. Now, I think it's also important for you to understand that these folks are not Jewish. They are Gentiles. They are not people of the covenant. They are not people of the promises of God. In fact, these are the descendants of the very people that took God's people into Babylonian captivity. Babylonian captivity in which they were in bondage for decades, for decades. So there is no love loss between the people of Israel, God's people, and those of that region in the east. And yet what God is doing by sending this heralding star is talking to the world to say this gift, this Emmanuel, this God with us is available for all people, even those with whom we have been at enmity. 
Isn't that glorious good news? Paul is overwhelmed with this as over in Ephesians chapter 3 verses 1 through 12. He talks about the graciousness of God extended to the Gentiles and opening heaven's doors that they might too drink deeply of this well of grace, forgiveness, and hope and become a part of what God is doing in the world. Now the star does set the direction for them, but it doesn't answer every question. And so it is on our own spiritual journey. We set our direction according to the star that is Jesus, who beckons us to follow in his footsteps, to trust him with our hope and with our future. And it doesn't mean that the journey is always going to be easy. It doesn't mean it will be without challenge. It doesn't mean that it will be without loss. But these wise men decided to go in trust, not even knowing they were claiming the name of Jesus and the loving heavenly one. Now on their journey, they follow the star to Jerusalem. Now it makes sense to go to Jerusalem because that's where the reigning king is, King Herod. And so they check in at the palace. Hey, we're here. We're here. We, we brought gifts for the new baby, the newborn king. And everybody in the palace says, new baby, new baby, new baby. We don't know anything about a new baby. Quick check of the nursery. No, nothing new there. Herod invites them in and inquires of them. What about this new baby? He said, well, we've seen his natal star and we have come to pay him homage. And it says in the text, Herod and all of Jerusalem was troubled, was troubled. You see, friends, in this story, those three main characters are the wise men, those who wanted to know and had the courage to go. And there is Herod and those like him who are openly hostile. They want nothing to do with this Messiah guy. In fact, he is so troubled that he calls in the scribes and, uh, the high, and the priest of Israel and he inquires of them, where is this Messiah to be born? And they look it up. They look it up. It's right there in the scripture. It's in the scripture. They open the scripture and it's revealed. He is to be born in Bethlehem. In Bethlehem, not that far from Jerusalem, just down the road. And Herod says, you go and find that child and bring me back word so I can pay him homage, which is a lie. Because, you see, Herod doesn't want anybody to threaten his authority or his autonomy. He already has murderous intention in his heart. Hostile. Hostile. You know, he was such a dastardly person. He had some of his own sons killed. He was responsible for the death of his wife Someone said it's safer to be Herod's pig than it is one of his sons. Hostile. But then there's another group. The scribes, the priest, who came and opened the scripture, who opened the scripture, and they saw where the Messiah was to be born. And yet we have no record that they got excited about that, that they would have said to the wise men, hey, let us go. It looks like it could be true. The ancient prophecies could be true. This is a validation of God's word, of God's great prophecy. Let us go and let us see this great thing that has come to pass, like the shepherds did. But no. Now, this is the gospel according to, ten, uh, according to Ken. The, the text doesn't tell us this. But it seems to me, it seems to me that these folks, these folks, uh, 
have a major case of indifference. Indifference. The wise men, we want to know, so we're willing to put in the effort. We're willing to become intentional about that. That posture is available today for those of us that are willing, open, who are willing and intentional because it's not likely we will drift into this deepening relationship with Christ. It is not likely that we'll be out on a serendipitous little walk and all at once we will have the epiphany and it will be life-changing. It is more likely, according to the text in Jeremiah, as God speaks to his prophet, you will find me when you seek me with all your heart. And so it was with the wise men and I hope with some of us. That posture of hostility is still evident. Oh, we may not have murderous intent like Herod, but we, we really stand just with arms outstretched. There are people who are hostile to the whole concept of there being God. Some years ago, I did a sermon series called Evidence That Demands a Verdict. And in the first installment of that series, we talked about the evidence, the evidence that points to the credibility of the existence of the Creator. It seemed to be well received in my congregation. They, this will tell you how long ago that was. They, they made cassette tapes back in those days. And some of our folks took those cassette tapes and they mailed them to some of their friends or relatives that they hoped would find something of benefit. What I got as a response was pretty harsh from some folks. The hostility that they exhibited did not want anything to do with this. Now, I'm as human as anybody else. And I can tell you, I did not shed that like water off a duck's back. I had to do some heavy-duty praying about that. But then I decided, okay, this is an opportunity. At least they have energy. They have energy about this thing of the Holy One. And so I wrote them back and invited them into a conversation, just a conversation about those possibilities, promising them that I would hear their case, I would hear their questions, I would respect their opinions, and I failed miserably. But just because I failed on that occasion doesn't mean that we always fail. There is a person by the name of Lee Strobel who was trained in an Ivy League university in law. He became an investigative reporter with the Chicago Tribune. He was good at his job, fierce in his logic, his keen intellect, and he was a devoted atheist, hostile to the very concept of faith. Lo and behold, his wife became a Christian. And it troubled him and made him afraid because he was afraid it would change her into something that he couldn't live with. Much to his delight, it did change her, but in ways that were wonderful for their relationship. And it caused him not to change his opinion, but rather to go on an honest quest at first to disprove this idea of God, to disprove this idea of Messiah Jesus, to disprove this, uh, this validity of faith. But after many, many months 
of study, of interview, of questions, hard questions, he came to the place where his hostility was drained and in its place became an aha moment that God had prepared him to receive over those many months and he embraced the faith. He is now one of the foremost, foremost defenders of the faith. He wrote The Case for Christ. He has written many other publications that have helped people on their spiritual journey. At least people who are hostile have some energy about this. I think the most dangerous posture a person can have is that one of indifference. Well, yeah, I know it's in the Bible. But so what? What difference? It doesn't make any difference in my life. It's not going to change the way I live. I'm basically a good person. I don't care what it says. Well, yeah, I know it's supposed to be the Word of God. Indifference. The indifference means we give no energy. We give no intentionality. We have no hunger, no thirst. And in doing so, our hearts continue to grow calloused and hard. Our hearing is dimmed and our spirits shrivel. And we miss the aha moments that God may intend for us to have. Those wise men went on their way and were overjoyed when the star stopped over the place where Jesus and his mother were. And they went in and the text says... They worshipped, they bent their knee and they worshipped. And as a part of worship, they opened and offered their gifts. Now traditionally, traditionally our understanding is that gift of gold is something worthy of a king, certainly the material world's best representative of economic power, etc. That offering of the frankincense recognition that this would be a priest of some kind a high priest of some kind frankincense used in worship the incense used in worship was often thought to lift the prayers of the faithful up to the nostrils of God and the myrrh perhaps the foreshadowing of the sacrifice he would make for the life of so many And while I agree with all of those representations, I sometimes wonder, I sometimes wonder, and this is very personal, this is the gospel according to Ken, I sometimes wonder if the offering of the gold is the symbol of offering all that is temporal, all that is material that the wise men brought to that place, surrendered to his loving authority. That the frankincense would lay claim to him to be the centering influence and spiritual guide of their life, giving him loving authority over their spiritual journey. And the myrrh, the recognition, the recognition that following such a king will inevitably mean challenge, hardship, perhaps even loss, and the willingness even now to trust him with those things. So for me, the question comes as we enter into 2022. Will I join the journey of the wise? Will my posture be open? Will I be willing to go? 
Or will I allow the hardness of my heart, the hostility of my mind, prevent me from the aha moments that God wants to use to bless me and those God has given me to love? Would you pray with me? Oh God, we thank you for these moments. Your word brings life to us. I pray that we might have open hearts and spirits that we might have the aha moments you want us to receive for in them brokenness is healed sin is forgiven and life is renewed amen friends I invite you now to join in this time of communion you will recall when Jesus met with his disciples on the night before he was betrayed They had supper together, and as they were eating, Jesus took the bread and said, this bread represents my body, which is broken for you. Do this as often as you eat it in remembrance of me. And in that time of a great aha moment, In breaking the bread and lifting the cup, this cup represents the new covenant, represents my blood, my very life. Life is contained in the blood. And this is my blood of the new covenant given for the remission of sin and the life that it can bring. So friends, in just a few moments, we are going to partake of this holy mystery. And I ask you now to join me in these moments of prayer. Oh God, we do give you thanks for this holy mystery. Yours is the creation story. Yours is the intention of a heart for all of your people. You break down the dividing walls of hostility. You want to make us brothers and sisters in one humanity. And in your wisdom and in your grace, you make that possible through Jesus Christ. The offering of himself in the profound act of sacrifice upon a cross and you demonstrate your power by bringing life to the lifeless body in an empty tomb and it's because of that empty tomb because of that resurrected Christ we face the future in 2022 in confidence and great hope with whatever difficulties we may face we will look to you to beyond them to guide us through them And we ask now that you make this bread, you make this cup to be the body and blood for us. And as we partake of it, may there be aha moments here and may we become open to those that are yet to come. In the name of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen. So friends, I invite you to take the cup and take the bread remembering Jesus said this is my body given for you do this in remembrance of me and likewise he took the cup and after he gave thanks he gave it to them and he said to them the blood of the new covenant drink this as often as you do it in remembrance of me 
And so in remembrance of Jesus and his many acts of grace, forgiveness, and hope, drink this, all of you, in his name. Would you pray with me? Oh God, we are gathered here as your imperfect people. But we pray that we may also be your willing people. We want our hearts to be kept tender. We want our minds always to be open to your divine leadership. And we want our souls to be satisfied with what you bring as your spiritual food. Oh God, hear us as we pray and as we offer ourselves in the name of Jesus, our hope and the world's. Amen.